Hi, and welcome to the Switch Natural Podcast. My name is Andrea Dar, and on my journey to find non-toxic products, I've met some amazing people. People that are driven by their life experiences to create something new that can help others on their wellness journey. I'm sharing candid conversations so that you can be inspired too. Michelle May is the founder of Azome Textiles, which is a brand that is totally revamping the way that textiles are made from a very toxic way to actually one that is so clean that their wastewater can be used in skincare. He shares not only about Izome's innovative process, but also practical tips that you can implement to make safer choices when it comes to your clothes, to your sheets and textiles in general. This is so fascinating. I can't wait for you to hear it. Okay. So I first question, why did you start Azome? And did I say that correct? You said it correct, yeah. I, awesome. Maybe Aizome is a Japanese pronunciation, Aizome. Aizome, okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, why, so why we started it? So um, my background is um, I've worked in a medical device industry and mostly in the area of treatment, like cancer treatment. So um, it was really exciting. There was a lot of advancement in the time that I was there, you know, treating, um, you know, radiotherapy software to treat multiple metastases and it was really amazing for me to see how much advancement and how quickly we advance in like treating terminal diseases and really rare diseases but one thing that kind of like um, just went with me the whole time was that we do so much to treat disease but we do fairly little to prevent disease and if you look around these days I mean there's um, there was an article recently on like this epidemic in the U.S. on chronic pain how many people suffer from chronic pain and there's no real we don't really know why um there are a lot of new autoimmune diseases crohn's disease um arthritic psoriasis there are a lot of like diseases that just appear and we don't really know why and one thing that i become very aware and this is not really criticizing uh companies but there's clearly more money to be made in treating disease than preventing disease um, and that's something that was really bothering me because I also think that we're going into a time where we have more data available and where um, things become more clear to us uh, what what is a potentially harm causing and what isn't. And um, and uh, through a personal story, my, my mother was very sick with a, um, a terminal disease and just observing this, um, at that time, we observed that her skin got really bad um, whenever she was um, in touch with certain textiles, bed sheets. And then the oncologist, it, it's um, 13 years ago, but the oncologist said, well, just try to avoid dyed bed sheets, like especially in dark color, just switch to undyed bed sheets. And that's 13 years ago, and my mind just went like, like, well, why? Yeah, who what would ever that? think their sheets, yeah. especially like 30 years ago? Wow. Yeah, th 13, 13 oh, years 13, ago. 13, 13 years ago. Okay. But I never, I've mean, I never thought about what color is made of in textiles. I just thought it's, well, I don't know, just color. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. And to think it's made of something that could potentially be irritating just intrigued me a lot to like ask more questions about color and textiles. And when you when you begin this journey, just looking into textiles is really shocking and really fascinating at the same time that we use so many crazy chemicals, even in a lot of organic brands. And we just accept it that this is, you know, you, that this is the apparently the only way we can do this. 
and um, and then sort of the connection came um, when I was working uh, in Japan, and we spent a day with like a um, a dyer, a traditional dyer. This is called aizome, this traditional um, hand dyeing with indigo plants. And he was making these like events where he would invite um, young mothers to bring um, who have children with eczema um, and um, would say like, okay, bring all your baby clothes and we'll dye them. And if the the eczema doesn't get better, I'll give you your money back. And so it was like I a said, treatment for the eczema was the exactly. dye in the baby exactly. clothes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So he said, well, bring, and he said, you know, and that intrigued me to look into like, you know, uh, look into textiles about dyes and textiles because you can literally take out what is bad from textiles and replace it with something that's good and it turns out for the longest time this is how our ancestors made, ancestors made textiles that's how textiles have been made in india and in japan and china that they would like take certain plants not just because of their color but because of their medicinal benefits and wow this is so interesting and yeah. I'm, I'm this is why i'm so excited to have this conversation because i think it's something that hasn't even entered anybody's mind so for a long time i've been telling people it's so important what you wash your clothes in because your body's in constant contact with fabrics we haven't even taken a step back to think it's the fabric itself and what's in the fabric we don't even have something to look at to know what's in it That's and here you and then on the far opposite end of this you're saying that purposefully things were put into the textile to be helpful yeah, for people's exactly. skin for eczema I just it's so fascinating yeah yeah thank you yeah I I, I think it's really uh, fascinating and it's also um, you know I think you're really a, a trailblazer with your app and what you're doing because people can simply get information on what's in their cosmetics and say I you know this is a potentially dangerous thing. Maybe the science isn't fully clear yet, but why should I take a risk? I don't want to take a risk. I, I don't want to have this product. But with textiles, we don't have that. Um, we are not, we don't have that freedom. We don't have that choice because textiles don't have to declare anything. The only thing that you can find on the label is the fiber content, whether it's cotton or polyester. And that in mm -hmm. 30 to 40% is actually wrong or it's omitting something. Oh, and wow. But you don't have to declare anything else that is in there, even though, for example, dyes can be up to 30% of the weight of the textile. Um, and it's, I mean, there's literally in every, any given textile, there's hundreds um, of different chemicals in there. And, um, and there's no, there's no transparency. And that's something that has to change um, because the textile industry is, lag, is lagging behind, far behind cosmetics um, or food. Um, and I'm I'm convinced it will change. It has to change. Anybody who looks into this, um, it's pretty not not very controversial um, mm. to to like what textiles are made of, what is in textiles, and the textiles can have very negative effects on your health. Yeah, um, that there is a a, a lack of um, regulation in the U.S. in Europe, pretty much everywhere. Pretty much everywhere. So in Japan the textiles were being dyed with plant dyes that were helpful for this. It did it, it helped the eczema for these babies. And so you, yeah. did you see this and this kind of got your wheels turning in terms of the, yeah, I, thought, dyes? I thought it was fascinating. The idea that like a uh, textile can be a repository of, uh, you know, 
of medicine. And I met a lot of dermatologists that I wanted to talk about this. And I said, yeah, you know, how do you think nicotine patches work? How do you think like all these other things? We know that the skin absorbs a lot of medicine. Like um, you can do uh, admit, administer a lot of like things through the skin. And then they said, but also negative things get absorbed through the skin. Like you talk a lot about PFAS. PFAS get absorbed very quickly from the textile. And then they can be found in the urine. Um, they, you know, stay in your liver and your kidneys. Like this is all non-controversial. This information has been out there for like part, partly for 30, 40 years. We know that. Um, it's just that we assume probably it's not damaging us. And, you know, that's pretty much the assumption that this uh, that we we think there are safe levels that we kind of estimate, but the controls are very very um, basically there aren't any controls really. That's that's right. yeah, and that's the thing is we I think part of this too, and I find this with products is you assume they're safe and we don't consider the long term effects. We assume they're safe because they don't cause an immediate reaction. Yeah, and I know like with some people, especially immunocompromised, I read that you wrote. Um, the bed sheets can be cause irritation for the average person they might not and so I think it's easier to push it off and say well this isn't harmful because it's not hurting my skin right now I don't have a rash from it Um, can you talk about some of the longer term concerns or maybe just the health concerns in general yeah so uh, one thing about like rashes and asthma and irritation so on so um we, we call those people um, like canary in the coal mine because um, if you get a rash, it means your body's reacting to it. But whether you uh, your body's reacting to it or not, it still interacts with your um, it still interacts with your body. So you know my, you, some people who are very allergic to Texas, they might be lucky because their body is telling them, you know, avoid those yeah. things. Right. Um, yeah, and um, I mean it goes from the the effects that we can measure that we can see i mean i i can tell you that there's a lot of um on the sort of shocking end of the spectrum there's a lot of evidence accumulating that there are like serious long-term effects on certain chemicals you you know very well pfas has been used for many many decades and now they're saying well this is clearly uh carcinogenic clearly so we're not going to use it anymore but it's been used for 30 40 years it's taken so long it's so slow yeah yeah, and the bad news is the industry has long switched to like chemicals that behave eerily similar to PFAS, look exempt, but they're not labeled PFAS. So again, they can be used in textiles. So this is like a cat and mouse game that we've been playing also for a really long time mm-hmm. because the industry has such an addiction to using these chemicals. Like it's literally like they just, how can we, we just want to use those things? Yeah. And um on these there are like a lot of like very serious long-term effects um i just want to say that you know there is always this do we have enough scientific evidence and science scientific evidence means being extremely clear and extremely sure but it's really difficult to study textiles because we don't live in labs we cannot just have you know twins split up uh, in labs and then just say you only use these clothes you only use these clothes and everything else is going to be the same that Mm. is impossible to do Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few cases in history where some things has happened, like um, a few cases of um, airlines that introduced um, uniforms. And that was the same clothes for everybody, for a big group of very different people. 
And then also these um, uniforms are specifically, I mean, most of them have bright colors. Um, they you know, have to be wrinkle-free, stain-resistant. And in these cases, we saw indications of lots of people getting mysteriously sick, like, you know, Crohn's disease, all of uh, kind of different diseases. And they're like, there were like big uh, law cases where they tried to sue the, the airline or the, the, the manufacturer mm -hmm. of these textiles. And I mean, this is still out for dispute. People are still saying, oh, you know, maybe it was something else and so on. But I think, and this is my, my personal opinion, we know what goes into making these textiles. We know these chemicals. We know in their pure form, they are mutagenic, um, carcinogenic, uh, genotoxic. We know that for a fact. Um, and we know that a lot of diseases are on the rise, but we know also that we assume safe levels. We look at one, um, one chemical and we say, oh, the safe level is probably here, but we don't study accumulative effects. We don't study right. that this is a cocktail of different chemicals. And, and then we just you know step back and saying, let's just continue, nothing to see here. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the thing that we want to point out is that I think it's really dumb to do this because we also say environmental damages. We see health damages of workers. And there are a lot of like, you know, environmental studies. I can tell you tons of things of like sterility among ice bear populations in really remote areas where we can trace it back to chemicals released from textile factories. Wow. So we don't have, and the thing is, we don't have to do this. That's the thing that industry can do it because there is no transparency. Because there's no um, transparency. And, and is the main concern just the dyes? I know you, so the, the PFAS have to do, the PFAs have to do with water resistance, or as far as I'm concerned, you may, there may be other uses. And, and then you have the dyes. Is there, are those the two big, the biggest ones are in the dyes and the PFAs, or is there something else? The bleaching? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of other things. Um, so there's several thousand chemicals used in textile production. Um, we often think textiles, it's just like one piece of something, but actually mm -hmm. it's many layers. It's a very complicated and, you know, very sophisticated product. Okay. Um, they, they are, there's, you know, formaldehyde is used to make it wrinkle-free, iron easier. And PFAS or similar chemicals are used for like the stain resistancy. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of chemicals used. You mentioned bleaches. Um, also to improve uh, proof dye uptake. And then dyes is... That, you know, the thing is why I love to focus on dyes. It's because I think it's the most obvious thing. Like you okay. look at a t-shirt that is black and it says 100% cotton. And to me, it's so like, you're clearly leaving out something because cotton is white. And this is <laughs> yeah. the black thing. Tell me. Right, yeah. right. But there's and a cocktail of Do You mentioned that even organic cotton or organic pro organic textiles could be problematic. Yeah. What do you mean by that? So again, we um, so we have to see that this industry is really it's way behind cosmetics in terms of what is an organic standard. Um, and I also I always think you know it's really important to that the industry is moving forward and there are some good you know there are some good movements and generally any company is saying oh we're trying to use something like low impact dyes and so on. I think that's great. You know, it's a small step forward, but, you know, we are, I think we are a little bit among um, more zealous people in this podcast here. So 
the, the problem with these like organic labels and so on is they give you a false sense of like, oh, we're good now. Nothing like we can move on. This is good. Yeah. The organic standard is still not high. It's very low, actually. And um, any organic brand that I could think of right now is still using synthetic dyes, synthetic dyes. And even if they call them low impact, great. Really? So it's 30% less impact, but it's still a synthetic dye made from uh, aromatic hydrocarbons, aka mm. the same thing that plastic is made from. So they can say it's organic and it's probably a step forward in the right direction, but it's not made from natural materials entirely. It's made from, you know, it's made from cotton and then you still pour liquid plastic over it to color it. And even though you can get a lot of organic certifications because you're doing better treatment or whatever, um, that this is not a very high standard. It's not a high standard. And you also said that a pretty large percentage of the of the actual textile is dye. Did you say 30%? Yeah, I said 30%. I think that a lot of so the 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 main point I want people to take away is what I said before is the label says the fiber content. And it doesn't say anything else about all the detectable chemicals in there. And the color, you I mean you can see it with your own eyes. You don't need a lab. But for the formaldehyde or you know, PFAS and so on, you would need a lab to see what's in there. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, anybody, and including us who works in this space and who's serious about it, say like companies should declare what's in there. And then people can make their own choices. If they don't want to have formaldehyde, then you know, I look at the label and say, I have formaldehyde, I don't want it. It's okay. I can do ironing or I have a wrinkled shirt. I'm fine. Right. Would you say that most most clothes has formaldehyde? Uh, it's difficult to say most. I don't know. Um, I'm not aware of any study that just looks through the board of right. uh, formaldehyde. But if we think that the average textile right now is fast fashion or you know hyper fast mm-hmm. fashion, that the average textile definitely is full with a lot of chemicals, um, especially if it's purchased new. And that's one thing that I want to yeah. also tell people in this um, in this podcast who like freak out now and burn all their clothes. Mm-hmm. The more often that you wash your clothes, with every wash cycle, you basically half the chemical leaching. Ah, uh, that was so, going to be my next question. Does it wash yeah. out? Okay, that's really good to know. So the more that it's washed, the lower the burden. Yeah. So. Um, even yeah like the best things you can do is really I always say like love should be your guidance when you do shop when you're shopping buy something you really really like even if it's more expensive because the more the longer you have it the more often you wash it the safer it is and if it's old then fix it it's probably the safest thing that you have in your wardrobe Um, something that you've been wearing for like uh, decades Um, and the highest chemical leaching you'll find in new textiles. And the tendency clearly is, um, you know, the the cheaper, uh, you know, I would say the cheaper it is, more likely it is that it's um, made with like um, these potentially toxic chemicals, even though I want to put an asterisk on this because they're also very expensive labels that just sell like rubbish textiles. Mm, yeah. Right. And you would say that in all the, the different countries, there's no standard would you say that germany is better than the u.s is better than australia are they pretty much all they said they're all about the same in terms of honestly there's nobody that you can um 
that we should celebrate when we say they are trailblazers. Um, there are um, some government agencies that conduct studies in a pretty outspoken the Swedish government is one that often um, puts oh. out reports where they look at, for example, um, azo dyes, which is one of the most, um, I mean, this is one, a, a dye that we know is um, carcinogenic and should be, um, you know, there are a lot of dyes in the in the azo group that are not allowed. And they do studies and then they publish these studies and saying, hey, look, it's everywhere. Even though we made it illegal, it's still used everywhere. So Azos but, are, they are illegal, but they're still used. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And that's one of the most wow. frustrating things is that um, brands get away with this very easy because they literally don't know what's in their textile. There are such long supply chains. Any brand that you have, they don't own the factory. They're just the brand. They do the advertisement mm -hmm. and they order the clothes from somewhere else. And yeah. the people who make the clothes, they order the cotton from somewhere else. They order the chemicals from somewhere else. So the supply chains are extremely long. Um, which is why brands can always say, oh, the paper we have, that's uh, here, nothing in here. Um, so, and there are no strong punishment, there are basically no punishments. And that's no difference um, in Australia or in, in, in Europe. Wow, in the so there's just no regulation, no enforcement, even when there is regulation, basically. Yeah, there are, so that Europe has REACH, which is a, a framework that's attempting to, to regulate yeah. and always better than nothing um and i um you know any 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 organic certification all that it's all great um and it's literally better than nothing but we far away from from what is acceptable i think yes uh, something that i found just eye-popping when i was reading some of what you wrote is that that the textiles industry is the third largest pollutant behind food, agriculture and agriculture construction. and construction. Why do you think that to me, that statistic is just so astounding. You would think that that's where environmentalists would be focusing their efforts to make the industry change. I'm just curious your thoughts on why the industry hasn't changed. Well, Greenpeace um, has been very active attacking the textile industry for their greenwashing and for the poor labor standards and for um, you know appalling records in terms of pollution um, and without Greenpeace I think we would still even be 10 years behind of where we are okay um, but um, I think there is I mean there is an um, there was an article recently in the in the Guardian um, from Alden Wicker who wrote um, that you know this is a 2.5 trillion industry that almost mysteriously has managed to just avoid the criticism that the food industry had. I mean, or the changes that the food industry had to go through, the cosmetic industry. And I think, and so do many other people that I work with, it is just, it will, it's just time, you know. I think people are more aware of food because they put it inside their body. Mm -hmm. But to think about that something that's on your body, on the outside, has no effects it doesn't make much sense. And I mean, it clearly doesn't from a medical point of view as well. So it's just delayed. Um, yeah. And there is something with the, with the, with textiles is that we just don't really consider them as a, a product that humans have to make that are constructed, that are highly technological. Um, they're highly, extremely globalized. So, um, you know, obviously global regulations are very difficult. I see. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I also do sometimes think there's probably an element also with this whole thing about fashion and you know this glitzy thing that it just almost it's like bright lights that distract us. I just went to the biggest textile trade show in the world. Um, and I thought it's really interesting. I mean, it's very technical. It's all the new machines and the new, you know, processes. And it's like 150,000 people for a week. It's crazy. Wow. But one thing I noticed, it was like, where are all the fashion and eco bloggers? I was like, this is where you have to go. You don't need to go to Paris. Like, you don't need to go to the, you know, fashion. This is literally where you can ask questions on, like, chemicals and, you know, environmental programs. Is recycling working or not? And I do sometimes think it's the bright lights that make us just look, not look Distract at Distract us. Yeah. In and it Germany, seems we have the same, but looking at the, how the sausage is made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it came in my head. Um, well, two things. One is I wrote a, a blog post a long time ago about children's pajamas because there's this antiquated law in the U.S. that they have to be flame retardant and chemicals are actually put in the pajamas and if they're not flame retardant they have to be snug fitting and it's just this it was uh the law was in place when fires were more of a hazard because people used candles at night and so forth and so on and it's one of i think it's my most read post ever blog post on my website and i think because it's children and people are realizing these flame retardants their kids are so many kids stay in pajamas all day. I don't know. It's surprising to me that 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 was so interesting, but it also made me realize that, like you're saying, people just aren't aware. And then the second thing is that I appreciate so much that you're doing this with bed sheets because we're it, we spend so much of our life in our beds, and it's something that we just don't consider. So I think that was an excellent place to start. Which I guess brings me to my question: Why? How did you come to start with the sheets? Was it with the the experience with your mother or? Is this a really impactful place to start with sheets versus clothes? Yeah. So, yeah, um, maybe to your first uh, point uh, with this uh, regulation on PFAS, I thought too, like for a long time, like how insane is this? There's a law that's meant to protect us and actually it makes us more sick. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, it's really interesting. Why did they make that regulation? Um, because actually you don't have to do it on all textiles. You have to do it on synthetic textiles that are highly flammable. Um, so like, Oh um, yeah. Yeah. And the thing, the next question is why are we using, using synthetic textiles? I don't want to bring my child to bed in a plastic bag. I mean, you know, maybe in the seventies people didn't think about this, but now I I'm like, absolutely agree with you. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable and, for me to wear polyester. Think yeah. about the ba so, babies trying to sleep comfortably. Exactly. And that's why, um, you know, they made this regulation so that these like synthetic textiles aren't as flammable. Um, and that's, I think with this example, you can really see the problem with the textile industry is like, basically mm -hmm. they're just building on top of each other. Instead of going back to the basic questions, do we really need to make our textiles from plastic? I mean, is this the best option? It clearly isn't from a dermatological perspective. It's not from an environmental perspective. Yeah. You know, it is an economic factor. It's cheaper. Um, but, you know, let consumers decide whether they want to sleep in a plastic bag or in, in something that's, you know, cotton natural. Um, but if mm -hmm. these labels are complicated, people don't really understand what's in there. And, you know, then, of course, people will make a choice just based on, on the price if no other information is available. So I think that's a really good example, these um, uh, pajamas 
Um, yeah, something that we never would have thought of that they were flammable, more flammable to begin with because of their origin. Exactly, and there's no yeah, and and that, that's always a. That's but to your second question, I mean, we we don't want to be just a advocacy group, but we want to show as a company that this is a this is a voluntary choice to make textiles this way. So basically, our DNA is to say we want to replace every chemical with a synthetic chemical with a natural variant. And the main thing, the most difficult and main thing is the dye, because the color mm -hmm. is, you know, see that's the other component apart from the fiber that um, that I'd say 98% of companies or 99% um, are using synthetic dyes. They're cheaper, they're easier to work with. Wow. And, um, and we basically wanted to show that it is possible to switch to plant dyes. And we're using some technology to make it more color fast, that it can be washed in a wash machine with other clothes that you don't have. That basically it's just usable to the consumer. And um, we we thought, okay, we need to prove our point by actually selling a product, by actually having a company where you can go and you can buy a product. And also people, if they like what we are doing, they can just support us by buying our products and they have an amazing product. And, you know, we, we can be, you know, um, we don't have to become like, a, you know, we don't have to be a consultant for a big company and then, you know, starting to Sure, it change. speaks for itself. Yeah, exactly. And the bed sheets, you know, simply... Yeah, I mean, you basically said it already. I mean, for one, it was that was the that was the product that my mother that um, that she reacted to it. But then also, you spend a third of your life in bed, and when you're sleeping, your immune system is in recovery mode. Um, mm -hmm. you actually not really well defend against you know um, chemicals in your textiles because your body is really trying to chill. And yeah. it's also, if you think about it, your underwear, your shirts, you wash every day, every couple of days. But your bed sheets, I don't know, once a week, once a month, depends. But you, right, you that's know, a, yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah, and a lot of skin health has to do also with the interaction between your skin and the textile. You know, the bacteria in the textile, the yeah, you know, um, the oils on your skin and on your textile. So actually, investing in good bed sheets is, from a dermatological perspective, one of, I mean. From a textile dermatological perspective, probably the best thing that you can buy. And yeah, and I, I also, you know, I really like sleeping. That's really my main skill. So, I <laughs> well, I will sheets. say the, the sheets are the best quality sheets that I've ever felt. The strength I've had, I've replaced sheets from tearing at least twice in the last six, seven years. I mean, these feel like they will never tear. They are so, they just feel so, such good quality as I mean, well as being comfortable. Yeah. We, so we, apart from, um, you know, apart from um, the, the dye, which we, of course, we use only plant dye. Um, we also thought, okay, weaving type, the sewing, everything has to be made. So this is potentially the last bed sheets you ever need to buy. We went up to the legal maximum of manufacturing warranty that we can do because we want, oh, yeah. yeah, basically we'll, in, in the US, I think it's just lifetime warranty on, on the quality because we, you know, the thing is, it's an environmentalist argument that is good or it's one of also the, the criticisms, one of the better criticisms of the synthetic industry against using natural products is saying, oh, cotton is very water intensive synthetic dyes you know they're also they need uh, sorry 
plant dies, they need a field to grow. So they compete with the agriculture. These are good arguments. Mm. Yeah. But I think they're invalid when you consider um, that we right now make textiles as disposable products. Like textiles virtually have become disposable. The average time a textile is worn before it's discarded is seven times. Mm. And a lot of textiles, they fall apart after not too long. And for that, I agree, cotton, indigo, this is too valuable. But um, you don't have to make textiles this way. You can you know, weave it thicker, you can do better job with the um, sewing and um, you can, you know, just make it in a more quality way. And then you can actually keep textiles, you know, for decades, for your lifetime. I mean, that's... Think of all the save, this the, uh, yeah, the less material that's needed there. Makes sense. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And you mentioned the water, which I'm really excited to ask you about because this was a crazy concept when I heard this. And I, I would love to learn more about how skincare is being made from your wastewater of making these yeah. sheets. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so cool. we, we started a skincare line um, and the, the purpose was to submit this to, to a lot of journalists and a lot of influencers to say like, Hey, we make um, skincare from our textile dyeing waste. And people go like, what? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I mean, that's the exact reaction that we wanted to have. And we're really happy that, um, you know, it's people are picking up really well. We've, you know, been to a lot of, um, um, if I may break for a moment, we've uh, submitted this to the Cannes Film Festival and we actually won a golden line for the, like the sustainable idea of that project, um, which is the big, I don't know, it's the biggest ad festival in the world. It's but great. what I love congratulations that, yeah I'm, I'm just actually saying it because I like that people who are very far away from sustainability and far away from you know cosmetics in general just like the idea of um, you know retelling a story of products we use every day and actually it's not so crazy when you consider well right now textile waste is very toxic because the synthetic dyes are toxic itself they're neurotoxins they, you know, do all kinds of damage in the water bodies if they aren't, um, the water isn't filtered right. Um, and, you know, by the way, actually synthetic dyes or the synthetic dye industry is one of the biggest buyer of waste from the petroleum industry because, you know, you know, you know, you right. split up oil and the heavy part is the asphalt and the light part is the natural gas. And in the middle, you can take out a lot of things and make lots of synthetic products. That's what's and in all our skincare. Exactly. Yeah. It's what's yeah. in all our skincare. Um, and yeah. And it's very cheap. It's very, mm -hmm. very cheap. So that, so actually using waste in the industry, that's not even crazy. Right. Um, but the thing is we're using waste and then we try, we're trying to sell it as a super healthy skin product. But the point is that we wanted to make is we can produce textiles in a way that this is totally possible. There is no need for these toxic chemicals. This is a this is a voluntary decision of the industry. It's not a voluntary decision of us as a consumer. We just see the product, but it's a yeah. voluntary, you know, of the manufacturing industry that this is okay to do. And yeah, and that's why we uh, did this. So and can by you the way, readily purchase the skincare or? We, we made a limited amount and we're, okay. currently, we're currently sold out. Um, we are um, we are love to work with brands who want to continue this. We are in talks with a few. The point is also that indigo, we're using indigo waste. Indigo waste is super antibacterial and we've done conductual studies. Indigo is a fantastic material to use in skincare products. 
It's extremely wound healing. It interacts, um, it, it works antibacterial. It's a fantastic product to use as a skincare product. And so it can be used as an ingredient perhaps yeah. within a formula for a brand yeah. is essentially what it's, I got it. That's so interesting. I love that uh, it comes I'm full happy. circle. Yeah, I'm happy you like it. Yeah. Yeah. What are your longer term goals? Are you going to make other types of products in addition to the sheets or what's your plan? Yeah. So our plan is to continue to expand our product range because we want to, you know, that people can, you know, buy shirts. Um, and it's actually very interesting because, you know, we cannot just like switch, uh, press a button and then we have um, all kinds of products because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of research done in how to make, let's say a bra. A bra is made, I think, up to 30 different pieces mm -hmm. and a bra, bras usually contain metal or plastic parts. So very complicated. And we need to, in order to make any product to reverse or go back and say like, okay, let's start a hundred years ago. We don't have plastic. We don't have metal. How are we going to make this product? A bra, I would say that's masterclass. One day we'll there maybe. Um, but yeah. right now, our next step was is things that are traditionally made with a little bit of plastic, like um, t-shirts and socks. So t-shirts, oh, okay. um, the color is tricky. Um, then yarn, you know, the yarn part is often made also from polyester because it just makes it more durable. I and, see. Yeah. Yeah. And we are, we, are, um, we think uh, this summer we will um, release a new, a completely new product line. Um, we have a very Great. cool partner in place. And that's what we want to do, like step by step, go forward and pr produce more um, um, textiles, all obviously made 100% natural. Um, yeah. And then we continue, I mean, we continue to do work as a technology company because we have, um, with patents and licensing we do research um because oh, we, really yeah what is really important for us is that the solutions that we propose are scalable um we want to say we want to show other big brands like you can do this too like we'll we are a small really small company and we can do it so you can do this too um, yeah that's great I, I love that your your goal is to make an impact in the industry as a whole and it's it's not so singular yeah. focused um i have a couple, couple questions as you were talking that came to my mind um one what do you think about towels is that a hard one to do uh, towels is not so hard uh, yeah. because towels don't have um towels is was hard until we figured out a good way to make the color um super color fast that also if they're like you know towels have to be are wet over a long period of times so towels is something that we um i'd say it's on the horizon like we can do this basically towels are just it's just the weaving towels have to be done well um and it's a lot of quality towels because of the, the machinery but that's from a from our perspective as in making 100 natural something that's doable it's and doable. towels benefit a lot from the antibacterial activities that plant dyes bring that's right because of the water constant contact with water yeah. and it's got me thinking is is the industry such that there's a few huge companies that sort of own the space and do most of the production of the textiles yeah very good question and also explains um one of the questions you earlier is why the why the textile industry is so such a slow mover um the cosmetic industry 
L'Oreal is the biggest brand in cosmetics. It owns a lot of sub-brands. And how much market share do they have? 10%. All the rest is smaller companies. So there are actually, there's a lot of room for small media-side companies that say, hey, we do animal cruelty-free. We do only natural materials. And the textile industry is dominated by very large players, which makes it way less flexible to move. Um, and small brands like us on the entire uh, pie chart of impact play a diminishing role. And right. that can change, obviously, when consumers switch to smaller brands um, and when smaller brands also maintain their independence and don't get bought out too quickly. Right. Because um, you see that time and again when the small brand, I mean, I've seen it in the beauty space when they get bought out and the products change, the quality goes down and they sub out different ingredients for some that may be harmful and that sort of thing. I mean, is it even, is it possible for these large companies to replicate what you're doing? I think that's what you said before on a large, can it be done on a large scale? Um, I saw, yeah, what, what as fast as important is that what the, the technologies that we propose and the way we produce things, we work with we work basically like industry that we say, okay, um, you know, this has to be in a way that we can produce if we have to like 10,000 towels in a reasonable amount of time. And um, so we don't work with like hand dyeing methods and so on. Um, because what we, I mean, we, we are very inspired by hand dyeing methods because we want to use exactly the same materials as back in the day. Mm -hmm. But what we want to, as you said, we want to show that this is a scalable solution and, you know, frankly, I also want to, there are a lot of people in the industry that say like, you know, plant dye is very cute, but it's not scalable. It doesn't work, you know, and I just want to show that this is not true. And every argument that we had so far that people say like, oh, the colors are not color fast. We've shown that our colors are color fast. You can wash them normally in a washing machine. Then they said, oh, but you can't chemically wash that. So, you know, for hotel, hotels and so on, it doesn't work. We've even gotten it so we have lots of hotels using our bed sheets and they can really that's so exciting yeah then the next argument was you know uh, vibrant colors i think our colors are fairly vibrant maybe we can't do neon colors but who wants neon colors anyway so <laughs> that's uh, i would say that's a limitation but yeah. um yeah. most of the things you know I think the the last argument is just like consumer acceptance isn't there or consumers don't know and that's true but I think that's changing. The fact that you invited me to your show. Hopefully uh, that's means, a good sign. <laughs> I think it's a good sign is that more people care about this. Yeah. Oh, speaking of colors, is there a color? Is it the full color range? I mean, is it red, blue, green? Is there a color that can't be made from, from plants? Um, yeah, I'd say the limit is like neon colors. Like you it's cannot- Just neon, but yellow, orange, red, purples. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about how colorful the environment yeah, is. That's right. And basically tra um, transfer most plant pigment. I mean, many plant pigments are, you can transport into the textile and any, pl all plants work a little bit differently, which is also, you know, makes plants more tricky than synthetic dyes. Synthetic dyes are basically always the same. Um, and, um, you know, there are some, there are some, you know, things that I, you know, I can point out and I was never really see the problem is, um, plant dyes do change a little bit based on the season. You know, I'm, we're not going to get exactly the same blue every harvest. But I'm always telling people, if you buy a 
wooden kitchen surface. Like you wouldn't expect it to every year look exact. I mean, if you were to buy like say, uh, let's say wooden plates, so you buy them every year, you wouldn't say, hey, why the line is different this year? Why is this different? And you'd also accept that it's a natural product. It, you know, maybe changes over time a little bit. And I think that's these things some people in the industry think are a massive problem that will prevent people totally from accepting plant dyes. But to me, it's like, well, that's really beautiful. Like I, I right. like that. Uh, I think this is really cool. And also, I mean, we're talking of really minimal variations that you probably don't even notice as a normal consumer. But right. of course, in the industry, like just a variation of 0.1% on a color scheme is not acceptable. And it's it's not really, I don't, I mean, I see it more as a systematic problem than it's actually a problem on the consumer side. Yeah, it makes it, it makes it more in, it makes it makes it more interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> Adjusting just it's a and it's a tiny adjustment in expectation or maybe like you're saying not even not even for the, on the consumer yeah. side. I mean it's rare that people, you know, have pointed things out to us. I mean, we've had people that say like oh about um two pillowcases and they're slightly different and every time we tell them, yeah, that's, you know, um that that can happen if they're from a different harvest. Like I would say like 99% people, you know, are really happy with it. And if somebody's really unhappy, we just, you know, replace it and send them a new one that looks exactly the same like the other one. Yeah, it's real. It's, it's one of those things when, when people start making changes and, and kind of realizing, prioritizing the health aspect, you start to look at things a little bit differently and your priorities shift. It, it, I feel that it's sort of the same thing. I know that in the lot, you know, on, on your site now, I've seen the different colors and my understanding is each color has different medicinal benefits. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that's really, yeah. really neat. Yeah, sure. So every plant, every color is made from a different plant mm -hmm. and um, in um a lot of traditional medicines like Ayurvedic medicine or Chinese medicine, um, there are like um, there are certain health aspects um, set aside towards color. Um, and, you know, this sounds a little bit like, you know, maybe to most of Western people, they go like, oh, it's a little bit hocus pocus. You know, I'm not sure what's going on there. But actually, it's uh, there's a very easy scientific base to it. Like different mm -hmm. colors are made from different plants and different brands. Plants have different uh, medicinal benefits. Um, and there are things in Western, uh, sorry, in Chinese medicine or Indian medicine that we've studied. I mean, we as I mean, Western medicine that we've studied and we go like, oh, that it's, we understand this mechanism, how it works. It's really great. And there are other things that we've studied and they, they seem to work and we haven't understood yet how they, how they work. Mm -hmm. And yeah. plant dyes are on both sides. There are a lot of things that we can study. So we conducted a lot of studies in antibacterial activities. That's really easy to do. Um, so you in, inoculate textile with um, staph bacteria and then you just measure it over time and mm. you can see with um, you know normal textiles it just the bacteria just continues to grow and um, then there are like uh, antibacterial treated textiles um, they usually just limit the growth like you know silver infused and stuff and and plant dyes they actually actively kill the bacteria and indigo is particularly strong and to consumer this is really great because it means yeah like less, smell, less smells if you sweat a lot it means you're less itchy 
Um, and the great thing about this is now we can only get this effect with, for example, as I mentioned, silver, which has a lot yes. of like big questionable side effects. That's so even... exactly what popped into my head. I know people have asked me about silver sheets or silver yeah. towels, and I've always, you know, I've tried to get to the bottom of that, but it, it does sort of seem not totally safe. Would you, is that what you were going to say? Uh, a couple of things. So one is um, silver does only uh, limit the growth. So it's actually not really antibacterial as it's okay. killing the growth. The other things is there are no long-term studies on how this is, how does this interact with your body? So you're literally, you know, doing a risk. And then if you're still thinking, oh, but I really like my silver sheets, Adidas, Nike, all the sports brands have stopped using it because of environmental and health concerns. Really? So, so I would say if Adidas and Nike, if, they, <laughs> I would if they're say, taking you know, a step back, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's that's you know there's people saying oh but NASA did this and that and whatever but I would say um, there are much better options like um, much better um, options got it yeah. really interesting um, I can I mean, with the plants it's we there's a lot of like history on like each plant um, how it, how it interacts with the the body and um, I you know we we talk mostly about the traditional use and I can like honestly tell you that some things we understood like the antibacterial activity but for example um like indigo we did a study together with researchers from um from the university of cambridge and um, because indigo somehow helps wounds to heal and we'll actually had we were trying to publish this in the biggest journal possible and they always say what's the mechanism and we're like, we don't really understand the mechanism and it's yeah. probably something to do with an agent called tryptantrine that somehow you know does this great thing but we don't really know how it works but we can see that it works nature is just incredible yeah i mean it, it has something to do with you know plants want to protect themselves from bacterial overgrowth yes. you know most modern medicine is made from derived from something that we've observed in nature you know we see a book whatever buck doing this and then from a from a um, scientists go into there and say like okay can we isolate that gene and, and make some medicine so this has been done for a really long time and yeah yeah super interesting but to close it out do you have any takeaways or practical tips for listeners that are wanting to make safer purchases when it comes to textiles just any any yeah, highlights so this is a this is the part i i prepared Andrea, because okay i I think this whole thing has a tendency to be overwhelming and people tend to like go like oh my god like and we've a lot of like people who are like um really against plastic but when we tell them well your clothes are basically plastic they go like i already have my thing this is too much to take throw on. their hands up yeah yeah and i i understand this but i think there are actually very simple things that we can do and i think they're all very common sense so i say it's always it's love that's the one thing is like just choose clothes buy clothes that you really love and then you will use for a long time with every wash there's less things in there that you have to worry about um, and then when you fix stuff like when it breaks a little bit fix it like try you know support a local mom and pop shop and tell them hey please fix this for me instead of replacing it and um, i think this is one of the most important thing is um, to reduce waste and also to reduce chemical exposure um, to, to things. Um, the other thing is trust. The internet 
is great. You can go out and ask companies questions, ask them things, ask what, what's the meaning of what's about low impact dies or ask them what, what is actually, what is then your impact from where to where? Like if you don't understand it, it means they haven't explained it well. And most likely they're probably not able to explain it, but trust, like go out and look for companies who can trust. You yeah. learn so much by just asking. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there are a lot of things that companies can do to earn your trust. I don't, I wouldn't isolate it. Like certifications are great, but they are definitely still, I would say, not on the level that they should be. But like trust is really important. I mean, find out as much as you can about the company and don't be bedazzled by some something that you see on Instagram for like one minute while you're in the toilet and then buy it. Right? Don't do that. Like do your yeah. research. Yeah. And then the and then the other thing is choose natural materials for anything that you have on your skin, particularly um, natural materials as like cotton, linen, wool, silk. These performance enhancing textiles that promise you to be thermal, this uh, wrinkle free, stain resistant. All these like marketing claims. They're usually just one or another way to make a polyester or synthetic cotton sound very attractive to you. Natural materials are that's what your body loves. Like natural materials help your cotton helps you to um, regulate your temperature. It helps sweat to evaporate. Um, it kills off bacteria. So of course your rain jacket is going to have plastic in there uh, uh, or your rubber boots are not going to made from wool. That's okay, right? We, we don't want to say plastic is evil. It's the usage of plastic that's at least stupid. Let's say stupid that we pump yeah. everything plastic and synthetics so choose natural materials so in short i'd say love trust and nature these are my recommendations that is awesome that i love that those are great great into the point i've learned so much thank you for talking to me today i'm so interested in your company and what you're doing i, I think it's really commendable and i'm excited to see the industry change i think you're leading the way Thank you very much. Uh, I think it's amazing what you are doing. Um, I look forward to the day when you develop an app that we can use on textiles. Uh, <laughs> I think it's really, really smart. And I hope you develop other language features too, so that we can use it in Europe as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's something I'm, I've got to get going. Thank you. Thank you All very right. much. Thank you.